Hi, this is uh, Roy Collin of The Speaking Podcast and welcome to episode number 27. This week I was speaking with Piotr Wutski, who is a teacher, coach, journalist, actor, speaker and prominent author. So we have some uh, very interesting topics discussed in this week's episode. As always, you can find us on speakingpodcast.com, Instagram, YouTube and Facebook at Speaking Podcast. All the episodes are different, so be sure to go back and listen to the others. And if you're interested in learning Polish, we have another podcast, learnpolishpodcast.com. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, this is uh, Roy Collin of The Speaking Podcast. And today I'm joined with Piotr Budski. Yeah, that is correct. So welcome, Piotr. Welcome. It's good to be here. So tell us who you are. Well, I'm the guy who basically helps people hone and position their message. Uh, so I basically train and teach communication in most of the aspects. But I am a science team, so I have this kind of approach that I always uh, examine communication from the scientific point of view. And I put theory in practice in many countries working with companies in Azerbaijan, Austria, Moldova, Australia, Slovenia, Italy, Germany, and Poland, of course. And uh, I constantly learn to update my system. And uh, But my main thing is that I really like to help people be better with words. This is my mission, to make the world a better place by teaching it better words, so to speak. Okay, very good. And one thing that I like to ask people is because, like, when you're on stage or you're a keynote or you're public speaking or you're doing workshops and events, but you weren't born like that. No. So, so tell us your journey because a lot of people are there at home and they're afraid and they, they look at up to people like that and they go, how can I get like this? And it's good to know the journey. Yeah. The journey is uh, complicated, but I guess it's always is, but it's complicated, but it totally makes sense if you look back. Uh, so, I was born a rather shy and introverted person. I did enjoy learning and hard work, but I didn't enjoy public speaking per se. Uh, I took part in all the school things that you have to take, but I preferred my own company. And uh, then I, when I graduated from high school, I decided to follow into the footsteps of the one person in my family that did other jobs than everyone else did, which is architecture. I don't know what other reasons I had to study architecture, except for the fact that I really enjoyed drawing and it seemed like a natural choice to really design things. I also love to play Lego, so I think, okay, if you build Lego bricks, you can build cities and everything. So my, my motivation was kind of simple. And then after six years of uh, architecture, I decided that I'm not going to be a brilliant architect. And trust me, I do think that it's good to sometimes realize, okay, I'm not that good in it. Okay, there's, I've been reasonably good, but I was not what I wanted to be. And then on the, on the fifth year of architecture, I decided to look into other dreams that I had. And I decided, okay, why not performing? And I thought it was kind of interesting because I never loved to perform, but at the same time, I kind of viewed fame and and fortune as an ultimate goal. 
I guess it had to do a lot with the culture we grew up in. So I, 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 I thought fame is going to make me happy. And I decided to go to the acting school. And it was a musical school in my town. I was lucky, I would say, because uh, there were not so many male candidates. Women had it worse. And there were like eight candidates for eight places. So I ultimately got in. I was not horrible, but I was not perfect, probably. I had a voice, but I didn't have a best singing voice. I, I was tall. I could dance, but I wasn't a perfect dancer. And I was reasonably old to start that journey, but I still didn't give up. And then in the theater, it was kind of a shaping time for uh, work ethics as a public speaker. Because in the theater, you basically all the time rehearse. Mm -hmm. And you have to do someone else's material and you have to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. I was in a performing arts and uh, musical theater, which is also a great journey because it's so much fun. It's, it's amazing. It's very physical. But at the same time, it teaches you a lot about stress and about uh, how, you, uh, how you should hold yourself on what's the posture and everything so it was very good i also learned uh, how to use my voice how to take care of my voice but still i was not that great i mean i was far from the fame and fortune that i thought i was going to acquire and i had fun but i decided well it's not that good but then the funny thing happened well it wasn't that funny at that time but i got sick and i got sick because of my work ethics in theater if you are like sick you just continue to work. Mm -hmm. And I was sick. I had, uh, first I had uh, a, a common cold. Then I had, I think, flu. Then I had pneumonia. And I totally ignored it. And then I got, I don't know what's the proper English name for that, but my heart muscle got inflamed. So I had this, uh, this uh, viral, but viral infection mm -hmm. uh, of my heart muscle. And I failed to really have it properly diagnosed. I ignored it. I was like a total moron, uh, a typical guy who kind of decides that I'm not sick, everything is okay. It was not okay. And it was not okay to the point that I, that I collapsed, not on the stage because that would have been at least romantical. <laughs> I collapsed uh, at my uh, family uh, gathering for, for Easter. Uh, we went to the south of Poland and uh, and I climbed the, 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 to the third floor of an, like an old building, residential building, and, and I collapsed. Luckily, again, my uh, cousin, he was a doctor, so he instantly told me to go on the ER. They, they told me, you have to stay. You're, 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 uh, all, all the vitals are like, I was almost dead. And then I spent six weeks in the hospital, and I was wondering, what should I do? Should I go back? And I was offered by an amazing, uh, well, uh, theater director who worked with us. I was offered this opportunity to come back, to relax and to like wait and get in shape again. But I decided no. And it was like a no. And then I decided, okay, what have I just done? I have no work. My education is kind of weird. And I had some savings. So I stayed with my parents. Then I decided to go to the uh, to to do an internship in my um, in my friend's best friend's uh, office. She was working in a publishing business, and she was she herself was going for an internship in London for Sage Publications, and her spot was supposed to be free for a month. So I said, 
what can they lose? I mean, they can take me in for a month of an internship, unpaid. I'm going to be there. Um, I might help with the emails or whatever they tell me to do. I, I just wanted to experience what it's like to be there. Lucky for me, again, this, uh, this uh, publishing house was all about psychology. And that is when I totally fell in love with this science of learning how we function as humans, how our brains operate. I was specifically drawn to this neurological part of psychology. And then I graduated from marketing. And then after, uh, after this one uh, year of, uh, of intern, uh, after one month, they s offered me a job. And then after a year, I was a head of marketing in that, uh, in that uh, publishing house. But it's nothing to brag about because that was the uh, one person marketing department with me being the head of myself. So, uh, so the thing is, it looks good on the resume, on the CV, but it's obviously not. So, and then another job, another job, I grew and I, I decided to do things. And then I started doing side uh, things like little workshops or uh, someone asked me, could you just tell about your experiences, do a keynote here and then. And I started doing it. And when I look back and I take a look at my either slides or performances that I recorded, I'm not particularly proud of that, but I, at, at least I can see the progress I made. Mm -hmm. Because again, I started doing this, what I'm doing now, approximately like 12 years ago, full-time job. But before it was like, you know, side job. And I can see the progress. And I think that this journey is really a weird uh, road taken. But at the same time, it just shows me that basically you need to find out what you're good at and nurture it and try to master it by repetition. I mean, and this is what I tell people I work with in public speaking. I do realize that not many of them have to perform as often as I do, which is fine. But then I know that with repetition, even during a two-day uh, seminar, they still see the progress. I treat it as a sports training almost, okay? Uh, most people expect when they start a healthy lifestyle or running or gym or food, they expect the results right away. Yeah, exactly. The results don't come right away. Sometimes it can even get worse. So, for example, if you're doing public speaking and all the, of a sudden you realize all the bad habits you have or all the shyness or, or, or everything else, it gets worse for a while, but then it jumps back. And I tell people, okay, there is no positive, exact, immediate positive correlation between how many times you have rehearsed and you're, you're getting this time better. So if you uh, speak publicly twice, it doesn't mean that you're twice as good as before. But if you speak publicly 50, 60, 70 times, you are getting there. Yeah. And most people I work with start with the conviction that it is a talent, like you said. Sometimes they look up at somebody and say, oh, Malcolm Gladwell is such a great storyteller. Or they look at, I don't know, uh, my friends like Janina Bong. She's so hilarious and yet very 
wise and she educates people from the stage with such amazing uh, credibility, grace and posture and everything. And she's funny and at the same time she's, she's, she's very fact and science oriented. And people look at that and say, oh, I could never be like that. And of course you can never be her, but you can be the best of yourself, of your ability. People sometimes also, I think, uh, mistake public speaking uh, for the skill of the extroverted people. Yeah, yeah. Of course, for some extroverted people, it is easier to get up on stage because they are not so uh, overwhelmed by the stimuli. But very often they don't form uh, such coherent stories. And I'm not saying this to sort of uh, suggest that extroverted people cannot do good. They can. But they have to work, for example, on more logical, uh, coherent, simple and precise communication. Whilst introverted people have some other things to work on. So I'm thinking that it's just basically hard work. And I know it doesn't sound very innovative or, you know, it's not rocket science, but it is hard work. But at the same time, mm, I suggest hard work using uh, what we know, the resources we know from science. So like I cognitively, I, I like to look at things from the cognitive point of view. So for example, if I know what captures attention, then I can design a presentation that captures attention. Mm. If I know what usually in us humans as mammals arouses emotion or interest, then I can try to design a communication based upon that. If I know what boosts understanding, then I can use that. So I would recommend looking into the way the brain processes information and designing the information that is kind of tasty for the brain. Uh, and many people don't want to go into that many details, and that is okay. But generally, attention and interest are key. And also one thing that I noticed and realized that is best summed up by the sentence by John Medina, who is a neurobiologist, who says in his book, meaning before details. First, give meaning to the information so that people realize why does it matter? Yeah. Why should I listen? And then they can even process the most difficult details, like statistics low or whatever else you're teaching. I'm saying this because particularly when it comes to so-called boring subjects. I'm an academic teacher, but I also have, uh, I, I'm kind of uh, head of two uh, departments in my, in my uh, university. And uh, sometimes the teachers, other teachers come to me and say, oh, you are so lucky, your subjects are so cool. You teach communication and consumer psychology. This is so much fun. I teach law or I teach I don't know, uh, research is boring or I teach statistics and it's boring. And I said, no, don't give up. It's not statistics that is boring. You probably present it in a boring way. And even if you think it's boring, it's going to be boring to the audience. Exactly. 
it's the same with the public speaking if you come on stage and you already think that your subject is boring or less interesting than the other speakers then you're priming yourself and the others into thinking that this is going to be boring yes. one of the rookie mistakes is to talk about like this and i know because i feel it myself uh when i look at somebody well say malcolm gladwell and i would be i, I wasn't but i would perform after malcolm gladwell i would probably feel like oh my god why should i go on that stage that guy just totally rocked it and his stories research the ethics are so incredible what should i say and but then i remember myself okay now you have to do your job mm. people usually come to me after the keynotes and say wow it was amazing well performing after you is so hard and i said just no no don't look at it like this because it doesn't matter it matters how how good you are and how you were before what you're gonna do next what you can correct of course it's nice to benchmark yourself against people but especially in public speaking benchmarking it can be you know a tough job it's not like sports i mean you can't quantify it in terms of okay i made it two seconds before you no it's it's not like that so i usually give people examples I have also been in a situation when I've been intimidated by someone. Everyone can be intimidated by another speaker. And people sometimes have this imposter syndrome, uh, which is also an interesting phenomenon, where we think that we don't deserve to be here, that the world made a terrible mistake by giving me this opportunity. So, I don't know, it goes in so many places. And the best way to, to deal with it, I think it's first of all think is it real and then confront it mm. and I confronted it with other speakers that I really admire and we've talked about it at the conferences like I love marketing or golden marketing conference and we talked and they admitted oh my god I feel the same I feel that you are better than me funnier than me and I said no way I thought you were funnier <laughs> than me so confront yourself and think about it and really I mean for me public speaking is all about sharing what we know mm. and everyone is an expert on something and if you have that knowledge if you have that experience if you have certain observations if you have some material you're passionate about go out there and talk to people and it may be uh during a smaller meeting it may be during a family gathering but learn how to communicate what matters give it meaning and this is a beautiful exchange and listen to others also and listen to feedback no totally mm -hmm. like <clears throat> main thing is bringing value because like it's interesting what you said because i see in some of the events i go to and you know maybe the host comes out and they start saying about the ratings mm -hmm. oh i was voted the best speaker and I think they're actually, they're putting that on the speakers before they even get out there because a lot of the times the speakers are listening to the whole event. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, it's all about giving value. Mm -hmm. So you should, like, I mean, you can benchmark. And there's times, I mean, I know myself, there's times I give, you know, a, a speech I'm really proud of, not always. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more internal that you gear yourself as opposed to someone else because everybody's got different skill set. Yeah, not only... Uh, First of all, everyone has got a different skill set and some things are going to be aligned with other people's expectations and some 
things are not going to be. Sometimes the sometimes for example I'm a rather focused and not extremely extroverted on stage. I like that about myself and this is the way I am. But also I've heard comments underlying my YouTube videos, some of the YouTube like, oh, this is too uh not intense enough. So if if I'm not intense on stage and somebody expects extremely intense kind of Gary Vaynerchuk type of thing or or some of that type, then he's going to be disappointed. But I cannot do that anything about that. I'm not going to be Gary Vaynerchuk. And I'm not saying because I don't like him as a as a on-stage persona, he's interesting. I might not agree with everything that he preaches, but but he's this type of person who's going to basically uh be attractive to more extroverted and kind of stronger personalities but he's going to be scary towards introverted personalities and i think that in the room you have to remember that there are different kinds of people but at one on one hand you should think about your audience and bring them value but you cannot adjust everything about yourself to the expectations of the audience i mean you should give them the best value you should give them the best uh, up-to-date research observations great stories whatever mm -hmm. but you should not try to change your personality and identity to cater to people if you are not a funniest person on earth don't try to be the funniest person on stage because probably that's not your skill and that's okay yeah. you can be a very focused and and quiet person almost on the stage and i don't know adorn everything with Im amazing imagery of your slides i've once worked with a very uh rather quiet and focused girl on her talk and she did not feel very comfortable standing in the in the light and we've decided that she's going to be kind of like in the shadow almost theatrical and she felt comfortable then but then we added amazingly beautifully synchronized uh, imagery on the slides and it almost felt magical because she she had a very beautiful voice it was not a the strongest voice but a very beautiful timbre mm. and we made it into this so it's good to of course everybody says oh, like you know step out of your comfort zone yeah but small step by small step like don't force yourself i mean if you don't really, if you're not ready to be a stand-up comedian, don't try to be a stand-up comedian. Uh, but gradually you will get there. So I think that uh, I do test a lot of things in terms of public speaking in a safe environment. And I would advise that also to everyone. So if I have like a huge a keynote in March, I rehearse and test parts of it during some of the workshops in a safer environment where the risks I take are not that grand. Mm -hmm. And you can do that with your family. I mean, if you have a funny idea on how to start a presentation on a great story and you think it's great, better test it because it might not be that great. Or someone would come up with even a greater example or a story that might actually benefit you. So I, I test, uh, especially when it comes to uh, 
how I start my uh, my talks or workshops. I test it. I also test it with my friends. So I, I would send them a part of the uh, written script and I would say, what do you think about that? And if they come back and say, oh my God, I died laughing. And I said, okay. But if I, they say, oh, you know what? Uh, I think I have a better example or I have a better story. I accept that mm-hmm. and I, I, I look forward to hearing that better story. Of course, it means that you have to have very honest, transparent friends in terms of, you know, because sometimes people are uh, not so honest for many reasons, not because they have bad intentions, but they think that they might hurt you. But in public speaking, if someone is telling you that you're doing a great job and you're not really doing a great job, that's that's brutal. Uh, I've once uh, heard a very interesting analysis by Maciek Budzich. Uh, after one of the biggest conferences called I Love Marketing, he wrote an essay, a blog post, about women at the conference. And it was a difficult post in terms of, because regularly women are not that often on the conferences, and when they are, uh, sometimes they perform not so great as they wanted to. I think that there are many reasons for that. For example, women are less, uh, they're not invited as often as they should be, so they don't have the chance to practice. Therefore, they are uh, afraid to practice because, and so on. So it's like a vicious circle. But at the same time, there are, there are women who perform great on stage in terms of public speaking. The same way women are great drivers, they cause less traffic, but you know, usually they may be more uh, uh, intimidated by strong men driving. So anyways, he wrote this post and he said that the, the biggest problem with some women performing on stage is that they first test their performances in a closed all-female support groups mm-hmm. where people tell you, oh, you did a great job, this was fantastic, I loved your story. But did you really or are you saying this because you don't want to hurt my feelings or you want to empower me? I mean, there's nothing wrong with empowering people. But if you tell them the lie, mm. then they go to X Factor or um, Britain's Got Talent. And they, you know, I see a lot of people there who have been probably empowered by their friends and family. It's like, oh, you're seeing so beautiful. And then, you know, and then it's brutal. Yes, they're in so, shock. Yeah. yeah, so I think a great coach is someone who can be honest, yeah. not uh, brutal in terms of, you know, uh, being verbally abusive or anything because that's that wouldn't I mean that would be horrible I mean uh, it, you shouldn't mock people you shouldn't laugh and I've seen especially in the startup world when I've been uh, judging the efforts of of many of many young people and being a startup is, is hard enough but then you have to also publicly present your ideas and during some of the competitions you are mocked by the judges like they are laughing at you almost brutally turning this into a roast and a roast is a specific form of a public speaking when everyone agrees on the concept of roasting but if you're roasting as someone who is not agreed on that that's brutal and that's unethical so i maybe sometimes i I exaggerate certain things but uh, but then i never or at least i try to never laugh at the person i might try to laugh uh, at a certain stupid metaphor or i might laugh at a certain thing or i might say oh this is not very logical you were not doing this what 
what you're doing. But I think that in public speaking, if you have a person who is already very vulnerable on stage yes. and then someone laughs you off, it's like horrible. I mean, uh, being on stage is a stressful thing for, I think, everyone. I mean, if someone tells me I'm not stressed at all, then I either think that they're not true or they've never performed in a situation when they truly, when they truly performed uh, and it mattered. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't matter, of course, then you're not scared. I mean, if, if, you know, if you ask me to do a public speaking in an environment when I don't care about everyone's opinion, then I would probably don't stress. But normally that doesn't happen. Yeah. We are stressed because we're vulnerable on that stage. Someone is going to either pay attention or not. And we take this as a hint that we're boring, inattractive, uh, stupid, whatever. Of course, there are people who are so highly narcissistic that they don't care about that. But I think that it, it is being a teacher, and I consider myself a teacher, is a great responsibility. No, I see it in the Toastmasters yes. as well. Some people, you know, when they're giving an evaluation and feedback, mm -hmm. you know, they're either like what you mentioned previously, where they're giving them wrong feedback, pretending it's brilliant when it's not. Mm -hmm. And it's better, like, you, you have to give them encouragement, you know, pick a few points that are good, but you have to let them know, mm -hmm. you know, don't be staring at the ground or don't be whatever fidgeting or whatever. And that way they can improve. But I have seen people where their feedback is, that was brilliant. And yeah, yeah they, when they reach to get into the real world, they kind of bomb. And I know. I, I think that, um, well, I like the general idea of Toastmasters because actually it's a kind of uh, like a gym for the, it's like a training ground for your skills. So in, as a concept, it's great. But I think that it should have really, really great kind of supervision. Like you would definitely need to have to check if the people who are giving feedback are doing it properly. I, and I'm not saying, because sometimes they might have the best intention, mm. uh, but it's a problem if someone applauds you for the things that are not of great quality. And I think that, yes, we've seen a lot of that, especially now with the, with the internet, it, it gets everywhere. I mean, you see a lot of people who probably could maybe practice and become better but somehow on the way, told them that they are the greatest singers or the, the greatest performers or whatever. And the truth is that reality out there is really brutal. Mm -hmm. So if you sometimes becomes famous, become famous because you've been very controversial or you admit that you had sex with, with uh, on, the, on the back of the bus with some rap guys like one of the girls, then it's, this is the reason. You're, you did not become famous because of your accomplishments, but because media loves that. So, yeah, I mean, you made the move to become famous. And yes, media accepts that. But media was also crazy about Charles Manson. So, I mean, I wouldn't look for that kind of fame. Having said that, I was looking for fame. And oddly enough, I got my share after 44 years. And it's different kind of fame that I thought of. Now it's a quiet, I'm recognized, but I'm not like, you know, John Lennon type of famous. And this is good. Yeah. And 
also once I realized I mean I've been to a couple of TV shows or or interviews and I've been in some covered in the press and everything and I think that this level of of famous enough I would not be able to take anymore really honestly I mean sometimes there is this beautiful saying be careful what you're wishing for so I think that even the amount of extremely positive feedback after my book or after my Udemy uh, internet course where I it's it's amazing but it's also overwhelming because you realize then that you cannot physically answer to all of that mm-hmm. so I, th- I think it's kind of I, I don't know how uh, how it is to be you know extremely famous but I, I would fear that now I would fear that when I was 17 I dreamed that now I would fear that so I think God that's enough now I mean this is good it's good I, I love where I am right now there's one guy uh, he's actually the f- uh, my favorite podcast is called The Blind Boy mm-hmm. and he wears a plastic bag over his head uh-huh. and basically what he said is he can go down to the shop in the morning and nobody goes near him he can get on a bus he can go down and do what he wants he has a normal life because otherwise he's just haunted people looking for pictures people coming up to him and everything and, yeah. and it's nice but at the same time it's hard because for example if I go to a, to a, to a conference or, or a venue and uh, and you know it's great to be around people but by the, at the same time uh, I chose the life of uh, of a lot of hard work and that means that sometimes I'm just too tired to network yeah. and and I'm tired or exhausted or just want to be by myself or want to eat alone and people sometimes they don't know that of course they have every right not to know that but they view that as an as this as it being arrogant or being cocky or being you know not kind mm. enough so I do realize when someone says I'm, I'm not going to give you five minutes out of my time I'm sorry because it's impossible usually I have during the workshops and it's beautiful that people during the breaks and I, there's a workshop I work in modules like so there's the first module and then there's a break and I usually assertively say that the break is for you and for me mm. because I need for like 15 minutes to recharge and do another thing but again people sometimes forget about it and they come up and they want to ask questions which is great because I love that but at the same time it's kind of difficult the same goes for Facebook messages LinkedIn messages I decided not to answer all of that that's my conscious decision even though I know that some people might think that I'm arrogant but it's impossible and sometimes I really need to take care of myself first so it's like on the plane exactly the oxygen mask the oxygen mask first here then take care of the world because you know I'm not I'm not, I'm not a national treasure so nothing's going to happen but uh, but you know I need to recharge and uh uh, I give everything I have during the workshops or the keynotes. I can honestly say that I it is my full attention, full focus to the people I work with, and it's tiring. Mm. Sometimes people say, "Oh, well, well, you just go and do that." And well, if you just do that, then that doesn't bring any value. So it's you know, in order to give give good feedback you really have to listen carefully to to the person you have to analyze everything on so many levels and uh, and I love that but it's really exhausting today I had a 
seven hours workshop and I'm, uh, and I'm here and I know that, that the evening is going to be a, a rather quiet one because I want to relax maybe just watch a TV series on, uh, on, on Netflix or something yeah but that's good so, yeah and like when uh, you know because you were talking about the people on the stage and everything if like I, I have a tendency to be like solid and I like that and then I see some people and there it's I class it as being like watching a tennis match where you're moving left and right and some people are trained to do that what's what's your thoughts on that uh, I'm more on the solid and occasionally moving kind of person so that is my characteristics I always say that if you're moving around the stage it is with intention so for some people uh, walking I think is a way to uh, is a way to deal with stress and it's natural uh, but then it kind of can be destructing mm. so I would say if you're only walking it's because you've started a new thought for example and you want to walk towards that thought and then you stop and then maybe the punchline or the most important thing is like solid because if you have brilliant thought like I don't know OG Simpson's attorney if it doesn't fit you must acquit you have to say it brilliantly diabolical uh, if if you say it walking it loses its for its yeah. power uh, and uh, so some s things need to be said stronger and stronger means standing yeah. and I couldn't imagine like Hamlet saying to be or not to be walking around the stage you would probably just that would be weird uh, and uh, this so I would say and it's especially horrible when you're doing kind of like the halfway so you're not either walking you're not standing you're just kind of like doing the kind of a Roomba Zumba kind of dance, salsa thing. And and I know it's because of stress, so I usually tell people, okay, so your exercise for the next thing is just to say this little short uh, part of the text and focus on totally like being here and feed like glued to the stage. This is your focus, focus on that. And uh, every now and then, I think that it's also good to know the stage so my most often routine is to come earlier to kind of get acquainted with the stage and yeah. see how it works for me sometimes you know it is too small or it is too big but then i have to make my decisions conscious decision how i'm going to operate with that stage so for example uh, there's this uh, huge stage isle of marketing in the cinema in warsaw 800 people in the audience the stage is humongous for polish standards it has like this huge screen where you when you can see uh, your picture before you start that is multiplied by 100 and and then this stage is huge so then i choose rather to walk every now and then to sort of address different part of the audience mm -hmm. but I think that it's also okay to stand if 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 you is if you are about standing then it's standing but if but don't do things halfway like this kind of weird dance yeah, people yeah, do okay. and it's also the same i'm i'm think i'm a, i'm a, i always encourage people to think value first words next and then how you deliver mm. 
Because if you know the value very well you're giving, and you had this thought process of preparing a good talk, and then you put it into well-designed sentences with logical structure, with uh, ups and downs in your story, with a lot of but, except, and all those words that are keeping a firm narrative, and then you deliver, then it's so much easier. Uh, and uh, But the delivery part can be hard. People are afraid, for example, that they will forget something or that they will miss on a certain, or that it will go blank. And I say, well, that rarely happens, first of all, so don't be scared of that. And if that is happening, just pause for a second. A pause would be horrible in a podcast like that because people would be confused. I mean, if we stop for a, for a 30 seconds, people would be confused. But on a stage, if you stop for 20 seconds and you just look up, looking for your thoughts, then you look like you're the wisest man on earth yeah. or a woman on earth. And if you're just, if you forget the words and you start looking down and you're like doing like, uh, 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 then absolutely you don't look like the smartest person and, you know, the, the smartest cookie in the basket. So, you know, um, no, that's, that's a good point. That's not good advice. And I know it's hard, Yeah, but it's accepting the silence on stage is also interesting and making those little habits. Okay, so whenever I'm losing a thought, I'm looking for it in the ceiling, not in this, not on the floor. You are, you have every right to, you know, lose the focus for a second, but then look for it again in the ceiling. Don't look for it in the floor. That's my advice. Oh, I love it, I love it. And it, like uh, you said, you do keynote. So yeah. you might, like, how long are they normally for? And how do you prepare? What advice would you give us if you were going to be a keynote speaker? Uh, it, it depends. It's 25 minutes. Sometimes it's 18. Sometimes it's 45. Sometimes it's even 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. My longest talk was for four and a half consecutive hours, which is kind of impossible to imagine. But that was the requirement. And I've managed to capture people's attention for that long. Of course, I had to do a lot of tricks on the way to do it. But generally, uh, my, the preparation time is uh, correlated with the uh, importance of the event. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything is important for me. But there are events that are like extremely high expectations. Mm. Like, for example, I love marketing or golden marketing conference or uh, inspiration day that is going to happening. All those three are happening in March. I'm going to have a interesting march ahead of me and then i instantly start preparing like almost half a year before but it's not constantly working on it first i think about the value what is what is the portion of knowledge or experience that i'm going to share what is important what should uh, what should matter for those people what would be interesting for them what approach what new findings will I share and then if I have this brief I uh, turn on my uh, selective perception meaning that I start thinking about my presentation and then I instantly notice the things that might that I might use later on selective perception is my secret weapon at that time so selective perception is basically when you think about uh, buying a mini cooper 
and all of a sudden you see Mini Coopers because you're thinking about Mini Coopers. So when I'm preparing a presentation and I'm thinking about, for example, uh, the underdogs of marketing research. So I watch, I think about doing a presentation about underestimated niche customers. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking about it and I start noticing uh, examples or I start noticing case studies or hear stories. It's because my selective perception is fine-tuned for that. And then, say, two months before the event, I start working and putting the, the, the puzzles together. Then I started scripting. Right now, I'm one month before the event, and I have like half-baked script of the presentation, meaning words, exact sentences. And again, if it's a 15, 18, 20 minutes presentation, I probably do with a script. Uh, if it's a longer version, I just do script for most key elements and then the rest is kind of improvised. But I'm not a big fan of a totally improvised presentations. Uh, and, uh, and then if I finish the script, that is probably around two weeks before the event, I add slides when they are needed and then I rehearse. Yeah, how long would you be rehearsing for? What's your... Well, depending on how safe I feel. <laughs> I mean, uh, if it's a, if it's again, it starts off light, but then like before the day of the event, I would probably dedicate up to two or three hours to the rehearsing, and then it's and then it's done. And then of course it's a, it's all about the routines that I have before. So I like to shop earlier. I like to do a little bit of a physical things to kind of, you know, fight against my natural tendency to shrink my body. I want mm -hmm. to make my body bigger. Uh, I work on my voice a little bit. I drink some water. I try not to eat a lot before the keynote. And, uh, and then I just go <laughs> and I do it. Sometimes I like to talk to people and uh, I like to talk to people. I like to smile at people who are going to be in the audience because then... I know that there will be people that I have smiled before. It helps me. I think it stress is bigger when we have less things under control. Mm. And I like to have a lot of people at least slightly under control. And also being friendly to people is something that I can control. I mean, I can be nice and smile to people. And then if, I, if you look at a person you smiled before at, and you look at them, they probably smile back. Yes. Yeah. It's, not, it's not very natural to have a lot of psychopaths in the, in the audience. So uh, I would say, uh, yeah, this, this is my ritual. And then I get off the stage and I'm extremely tired. Mm. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. But I always go back after that, maybe one day or two days after. I ask for the recording, I analyze it. I think oh, could, this could be better or this might be too offensive or whatever. Mm -hmm. Feedback can be hard. I mean, I do understand that if someone is, uh, well, not criticized, but is pointed that something went wrong or that somebody didn't like something or they didn't like the case study or they didn't even like the joke or they found the joke offensive, then it's my job to really think, okay, was it really offensive? Do I agree with that? What's, what can I do? Is it a lesson or not? And it's sometimes hard, especially if you have a strong convictions about your material. Mm. 
but then you can only get better by listening to uh, to feedback or gathering your feedback and looking at yourself and it's 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 a nice job i mean i've heard beyonce every time she goes back to the hotel after she performs she watches the video and she looks okay i could have done this better this is going to be better i've heard the same about madonna that she analyzed okay this went wrong we can correct it or we're gonna do little tweaks even during the tour and you might say of course they are performers but on stage or as teachers we are also performers the difference sometimes is that we mostly perform our own material and that is why i really love this reality now compared to the theater reality i mean don't get me wrong being in les miserables or uh, being in uh, i don't know uh, chicago musical was great this is perfect material but right now i am my own kind of screenwriter and director and i can also have control over those elements and uh, so i'm performing my own show i actually do the same i record my speeches and i go back and i look but loads of times people tell me they hate listening to their own voice and they hate they cannot look at themselves on a recording do you i presume you've come across that as well with the people yeah yeah but then deal with it i mean you are going to sound different that you sound to yourself because it's a different you you receive uh, the voice the recorded voice i mean sometime soon i'm going to listen to that recording that we're doing right now and i'm not be happy with the voice because it's going to be the voice that i don't hear right now i also might be kind of happy with the way i pronounce words in english but then i'm going okay this was not that perfect as i thought it was and you have to deal with it i mean you have to learn and overcome that there is no way i mean most people think that they know how they sound i get that a lot people say oh i when i'm stressed i have this trembling voice and i s- listen to that and then i listen to them and i say with the group do you hear anything particular about this voice and people say things like okay it's a strong voice uh, it's a nice voice and or uh, sometimes too quiet but nobody ever mentions trembling voice it's like some people are obsessed with with the zit on their face right they are so obsessed that everyone's going to see it but most people don't notice that it's we think we notice it because it's the same as with the voice we think that our voice is this or that of course there's always room for improvement okay if you have a squeaky high voice it's maybe time to really work on lowering it but the same goes for it with english i've worked with people who primed people into observing their english because they said at the beginning of the talk i'm sorry for my bad english yeah no exactly uh, and nobody would have had paid attention to that had they not said it before and the lord do that actually when they're speaking i'm yeah. not a good public speaker yeah. i don't like public speaking and they should just never say that they shouldn't apologize for that no because it's priming people into yeah. thinking it's the same it's the equivalent of i'm going to tell you a really boring story it's going to be extremely boring and i kind of i'm going i'm afraid i'm going to bore you to death with that i mean why would you do that yeah. either prepare an interesting story 
or take a look, good look at your story and decide if it's really boring. If it's boring, then say it. It's the same like, oh, my data is so difficult to understand. Well, then make it easier to understand and don't tell us up, for, up front that it's going to be difficult. Okay? Uh, I, I, I mean, I, on, on one hand, I get it because people think that if they do that, the expectations of the audience are going to be lower and they're going to be judged less critically. Mm. But it's not. No. It doesn't work like that. You know, it's not like going to a professor to say, I'm terribly sorry, I'm totally not prepared. I mean, would you be kinder and not judge me? Like, no, they judge you on the, on the, on the same score. They don't like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't slept all day long. I mean, all night long, I'm tired. Please forgive me, my presentation is going to be shit. It's, yeah. I mean, I've seen people in the theater who jumped on stage after they've had heard horrible news from their private life. And they did it with the conviction that they owe it to the audience to be their best selves. Mm. And I know, I mean, if you're sick, don't perform. If you're sick, take my word for it. I mean, but uh, normally I've seen uh, amazing people do amazing jobs. I, my dear friend, Camille, uh, I think uh, it was on a TEDx. Uh, just before he went on stage, he learned that his grandmother died. And he decided to go on stage. He did. Later on, of course, he felt. But, but and this is the moment when you do that. So if you're tired or your voice is tired, stop talking about it. Do your job. Yeah. Okay? No, very good. And just because uh, I'm just conscious of the time. <laughs> so, like you were saying about, like, say, the keynote, the, the keynote you practice now. Like, how do you practice? Do you actually rehearse as you're driving? Do you record yourself and then play it back? Or what's your it, rehearsal? It's different, but I mean, at home, when I rehearse at home, I usually have, uh, I plug my uh, laptop to the uh, big screen TV and I pretend it's almost like the, 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 the setting that I'm in. I, and I try to perform 100%. So it's like a, uh, like a costume rehearsal almost. But I also like to rehearse when I'm running inside my head or driving a car and I'm talking the whole keynote. And uh, so, so it's different, but I like to, the last two days, I like to kind of do the rehearsal at home, like a full scope. I even put on the same shirt that I'm going to be wearing to sort of have this muscle memory of the situation. Uh, some people don't rehearse and I think it's kind of weird because I feel that they kind of procrastinate rehearsing. They kind of like, they want the time being on stage, the only time they perform this. Mm. So the rest, they're just doing it, going over it in their, in their head. But it's not good because things that sound good in your head might not sound good when spoken. Yes. So I definitely tell that to people. And that's why I usually work with, with notes because then I read them out loud and then I see if they have a, a good rhythm, like a rhythm on three. So she was, she was shy, so, so for example, if I say a sentence uh, like that, she was shy, yet strong and eccentric. 
that sentence has a rhythm. It doesn't make sense much, but I, I just <laughs> no, came I, up with it. But if I said she was uh, shy, she was eccentric, she was uh, strong, that doesn't have the same rhythm. And uh, reading out loud is a practice that I took again from my guru, Malcolm, McLe- Malcolm uh, Gladwell. He even reads out loud his written material that is going to end up in books because he wants to see if there is a rhythm. And, and I mean, I'm obsessed with presentations, so I do not expect the whole world to have this approach. But if someone takes part of the approach that I've described in my books, in my Udemy course, in my uh, workshops, then I think my job is done. And I'm really happy because I, I want people to use communication to make the world a better place. And I know it sounds naive, but I do believe that words, the way we communicate, the way we motivate, it matters. Yes. And it's no-brainer, it does. There's tons of research that says that the way we communicate and we talk to each other matters. And I think that everyone has those amazing gifts, skills that they want to share. One way, for a dancer, a way to share their gift is to dance, to perform. For a teacher who is fascinated with the history of an ancient Egypt is to talk about it with the strength and power and poise of a person who loves that. For someone who is in love with statistics and data analysis, you talk about that. Let's make this world a better place by sharing the knowledge, sharing the stories, sharing the experiences, but doing it in the right way, not putting people into coma with PowerPoints. Oh, perfect, perfect. And listen, this has been fantastic. And I'm definitely inviting you back because there's so much knowledge. I know. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you so much. I'm going to be visiting Woods very soon. So it was, it was a pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed all the information that Piotr gave you. If you know anybody that has a problem with public speaking, nervous, or just would like to start, be sure to share this podcast with them. And also, whatever platform you're listening to, it helps us a lot to get more listeners if you give a positive rating. So until next week, have a great time.